Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Kind of shaking things up where I wanted to go because I just, I feel strongly about. So just pull back the curtain a little bit. I, I, I say this sometimes and you guys are like, we don't care. What are you talking about? You know, I sit down every day and I outline the show. What is the biggest news of the day and whatnot? And occasionally during the show, something flips in my head. It's like, you know, I really need to talk about this issue. And this is one of those issues. Justin Pearson. Justin Pearson is the representative from Tennessee who was thrown out of the house. You have probably seen, if you're a hyper online person, this montage of Justin Pearson. Uh, this is a compilation of Justin Pearson when he was in college a few years ago. I think in 2016, 2017, you'll hear him. And then at the very end, you will hear what he sounds like now. Justin J. Pearson, and I'm running for president of BSG. There are a few reasons that we're running this campaign this year. One has to do with representation. How can we represent all voices in a conversation? I want to do this by partnering with organizations from the Boone Democrats to the Boone Republicans. I want to bring together different voices, dissenting voices, voices that may be more liberal or more conservative, in order that we can reach a point of sort of the radical middle. Seem like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. But oh, that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. But oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. That's the same guy at the end. A lot of people are like, what on earth happened? There was another clip I was trying to find it uh, from yesterday in uh, Nashville where he, again, is doing his MLK meets uh, Malcolm X voice change. A lot of people on the right are looking at this saying, grifter, 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 grifter. I don't think this is. The stark change in Justin Pearson from when he was in college to now doing an MLK meets Malcolm X voice impression that's not a grift. That's not a grift. Now, a, a grift is when you pretend to be someone or take positions that you don't hold authentically uh, because you're trying to make money off of the events. No, 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 no. That What I'm seeing is a man who authentically failed at life and is trying now to uh, be someone else. Uh, he is now someone else. He is new to uh, this, and he believes it fundamentally. He fundamentally believes it. He's he's now arisen to zealotry. Um, and this is this is his conversion. He has been remade, someone new, rebirthed into something. Uh, into a zealot, a zealot for a cause. This is a guy who probably failed at life in some capacity and is embittered and has now embraced this new cause. And in this new cause is this radical uh, for uh, black power or wh whatever you want to call it um, and for social justice, the social justice warrior it is no grift. Now, I say that and I start with that for this other relevant point here. And it goes to this Gallup survey. 
78% of Democrats prioritize the environment over the economy. 20% of Republicans prioritize the environment over the economy. It's a 58-point party gap. It's the largest going back to 1984. 52% of Americans think we need to prioritize the environment. 43% believe we need to prioritize economic growth. It's not a coincidence that this data comes at the same time that more data shows overwhelmingly that uh, individuals who are blue-collar, middle-class, non-college educated are rapidly shifting to the GOP. It is upper-income white professionals who care way more about the environment because they're comfortable. They don't have to worry about the economy. The blue-collar workers of America, they've got to worry about the economy. They've got to worry about making ends meet. And our worlds are beginning to collide. On top of that, there's a movie out based on a book. The book is called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It is a book that advocates for eco-terrorism. It is a book that tries to encourage environmentalists to take matters into their own hands and engage in terror to blow up the world, the pipelines at least. It's now been turned into a movie. The Delaware Valley Journal has a review on this book. A newly released film depicting activists planning the destruction of a Texas oil pipeline has reignited a longstanding debate about violence in the media. Could violent portrayals in media lead to real-life violence? The movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline got its title from a 2021 book by Swedish writer and activist Andreas Malm. In it, he suggested environmentalists should consider aggressive, violent destruction of fossil fuel infrastructure to fight climate change's purported effects. Instead of denunciations, he's become a media darling. In 2021, Malm told New York writer-editor David Rimnick the Green Movement should reconsider its roots in nonviolence. He said he believes it's time to get destructive as a way of combating man-made climate change and forcing people to defend, depend less on fossil fuels. I'm recommending that the movement continues with mass action and civil disobedience, but is also open to property destruction. Let me tie these things together to be clear. Justin Pearson is not a grifter. He's a zealot. He's been radicalized. And radicalization is speeding up on the left. The media, the FBI, the federal government, they've been so obsessed about radicalization on the right, they haven't even noticed it happening on the left. They first increased despondency and despair. They told young people that we're all going to die within the next 10 years because of the planet. They told young black men, the reason you can't get ahead is because the nation is systemically racist and the nation will forever be racist and we can't have the white people making the changes because if the white people make the changes, they're going to preserve the status quo against you and the whole world is stacked against you. They've caused people to give up hope. They've caused people to become despondent. There's a reason we're seeing a mass spike in suicides in this country. There's a reason we're seeing a mass spike in drug dependency in this country. It is people who've fallen into despair. They've lost all ability to hope. They've grown despondent. Many of them have gone to drugs. Some have committed suicide. And still others are turning violent. What they can't have by peace, they will take by force. 
what they can't have through government, they will have through agitation. This is all coming out on the left. In the 1960s and 70s, we were in very much the same place. Ironic that the Democrats would go back to Chicago now for the Democratic National Convention, uh, just as they did at that time. And the left became very violent. There were bombings every week in this country in the early 1970s, many of them by eco-terrorists. We're back to that, or about to be. The indoctrination of the left on America's youth is starting to raise an army of jihadists for environmentalist causes, among other things. You see, I look at Justin Pearson. I look at that guy. The reason I don't see a grifter is because I've known people like this. I've known people. I had friends of mine growing up in the Middle East who became radicals re-embrace their faith in, in perverse ways. I've known people in this country on the right who were seemingly reasonable, civil people who believed the world had turned against them, that they had been cut out of success in the world because of other people, and they became radicalized. Some of them for Donald Trump in very angry ways. They embraced Donald Trump to, to stick it to everybody else. They didn't care whether he won or lost as long as he smashed everything along the way. There are still people like that committed to Donald Trump for that reason. There are people committed to Bernie Sanders for that reason. They want the, the rich to pay. They want the people who succeeded to pay. Justin Pearson, it seems, decided to take a walk in life, and it didn't go well for him. And it radicalized him. And I wouldn't be surprised if the George Floyd riots were the thing that ultimately sealed the deal. This isn't a grift. This is dangerous. Maybe he himself is not. But where the left is headed with this stuff is really dangerous and destabilizing for our society. You actually have the left praising a man who is advocating for property destruction around the country. You have Nicole Hannah-Jones and others on the left now arguing that property destruction is nonviolent. That's their actual argument, that property destruction is nonviolent. It's only violent when people get hurt, and if they get hurt by accident, that's not violence. That's just an accident. They are literally arguing this now. And much of the mainstream media and the national press has embraced this. This is a recipe for disaster in this country. A recipe for real disaster in this country. And the only way to fix it is to find someone who's willing to give people hope. It's why Tim Scott's message, I think, resonates with some people. He's a happy warrior. Ron DeSantis, if he runs, I, I, you got to give people hope. It is really easy right now to divide people and, and, and tear people apart. We're seeing this even within families where, where family members hate family members because of their political positions. Politics has become our religion, heretics and apostates not allowed. You either agree or you're on the outcast. It, it is harder and harder to find people who are willing to be friends with people on the other side of the aisle. It's harder and harder to break bread together as a people. In a civil society, we don't have a lot in common anymore. And the cultural institutions of the country are helping drive those wedges in. And on the left, there is this sense of righteousness on their side. They really believe history bends towards them. They say things like the truth happens to be liberal or the truth, the facts are always progressive. 
or some such. They, they, they have their own institutions. They tend to be the dominant cultural institutions. They tend to take left-wing narrative and leave out the facts that might oppose them. And now they're at the point of encouraging violence. Friends, I'm sorry, but when you have an ideological institution that is the dominant portion of the Democratic Party telling people we're all going to die within the next 10 years unless something happens and this nation is systemically racist, it is a recipe for violence in this country. And don't be surprised when people on the other side realize what's happening and they say, you know, I'm, I need to go out and buy some guns to take care of my family for when those violent militant anarchists of the left come marching down my street. we got to be protected. I just don't think it's a good time for conservatives to suddenly decide, yeah, we're going to we're going to come up with a gun control compromise when you've got transgender activists plotting the murder of kids in schools to advance their own agenda, the media apologizing for those people. And now you've got radical activists out there saying, hey, yeah, we need to start blowing stuff up in the United States to force people back to the dark ages. You've even got those people out there uh, shooting up power transformer stations, thinking that they can flip this country into crisis and take it over. We are in destabilizing times and we have a drooling a moron for president of the United States who not only can't see what's going on, but his staff has actively gotten him to complicitly conspire to divide the nation further with his Philadelphia speech with the red lights and the Marines and attacking everybody who disagrees with him as somehow unpatriotic and un-American. Joe Biden is playing into the division, not working to change the divisions. We've got to have politicians on both sides come forward and say, you know, enough is enough. we got to leave each other alone. Let each other disagree without hating each other and we're not going to get that because there's no profit in it it's going to take you and me realizing we got to try to call our neighbors to the better angels of ourselves and we start by actually seeking the welfare of our local communities improving the lives of those there in our local community so that those people who may hate us they think because of what they hear nationally realize locally actually We can all work together even as we disagree on stuff. We're going to have to be the ones to save the country. Washington will not. There are around the country today uh, five or six news stories all essentially saying uh, donors are going wobbly. Ron DeSantis needs to announce. Why isn't DeSantis announcing? Uh, Is something going wrong? Has DeSantis decided not to announce? Dragging it out is hurting Ron DeSantis. None of these reporters have have access to the DeSantis crew. I can assure you from my talks with donors that they are prepared to wait, and many of them were privately briefed on the timing that DeSantis would make his announcement. So what the media is doing is trying to generate some sort of narrative shift against DeSantis, and I suspect it is by DeSantis's opponents trying to suggest DeSantis is going wobbly, trying to get people to peel away. Here is, I wish everyone understood this. The DeSantis team behind the scenes has been spending a lot of one-on-one time with the donors and other political strategists who they trust to make sure they understand the timing so that as these stories come out, that, oh my gosh, Ron DeSantis, why aren't you announcing? You need to announce. You're going to miss the game and everybody's going to be shut out and people are going to make up their minds. That that would be irrelevant. On the other side, you have his opponents trying to build a media narrative inside an echo chamber that this is fundamentally destructive for DeSantis to wait so that that might persuade some donors and voters to start looking at other people to be able to begin to lock them in. 
Ultimately, everyone is frustrated that DeSantis has not yet announced, but the people in the know knew he was not going to announce yet. He wants to wait the Florida legislature to be done. If DeSantis were to announce right now, the attack would be that the legislature is still meeting. This is a big distraction. You clearly aren't interested in being governor after getting reelected. You lied to the people. By waiting until after the legislature is over, DeSantis can show what he's doing and get it done, and these people are just hysterical about it. I flubbed up earlier. Um, I said the top five highest unemployment cities, five out of the five were blue states. That's not true. Um, kind of, sort of. It, it, it's Las Vegas has 5.7% unemployment. Chicago, 4.4%. Los Angeles, 4.3%. Houston, 4.3%. Cleveland, 4.2%. Las Vegas, got a Republican governor, but a pretty Democratic state. Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, Democrat Houston, of course, Texas and Cleveland, Ohio, not, uh, but 5.7, 4.4, 4.3, 4.3, The lowest, Orlando, Florida, 2.6% unemployment. Indianapolis, Indiana, 2.6% unemployment. Tampa Bay, Florida, 2.5% unemployment. Minneapolis, Minnesota, 2.4% unemployment. Miami, 2.2% unemployment. So three of the lowest are... Florida. The others, the highest, are spread around the nation. Pretty striking story for a Ron DeSantis if he runs for office. Concurrent to that, there's this story in Bloomberg. Uh, Kyle Bass is the founder of Heyman Capital Management. And he is saying that a lot of office buildings need to be burned, need to be torn down, not burned down. They need to be demolished. Demand is there. It, it, or demand is not there. People are not returning to offices. Uh, a lot of people are working from home. There's also not enough workers to go around for these offices. Uh, the founder of Heyman Capital Management says office buildings and cities need to be demolished because demand isn't returning, and it's impractical to turn most towers into apartments. It's one asset class that just has to get redone, and redone meaning demolished. The Dallas-based investor shot to fame more than a decade ago, betting against subprime mortgages before the U.S. housing collapse. He since pushed a series of contrarian investments that have occasionally burned investors, such as predicting the collapse of the Japanese government debt in the Hong Kong dollar. His expectation of more pain in the office market reflects a more widespread view that the pandemic has driven a semi-permanent shift toward remote and hybrid work that imperils lower-quality buildings that are older and lack amenities. The office vacancy rate in the United States climbed to 20.2% in the first quarter, up from 19.6% in the last three months of 2022. Recent weakness in tech has forced companies like Meta, which is Facebook, and Amazon to scale back their footprint. I live in south of Atlanta. My flagship station, WSB, is in the heart of Atlanta. There are still a lot of cranes in the sky. There are buildings being built. The question is not what to do with the new buildings because a lot of big employers, they like to build the new and the shiny and the amenities. A lot of old buildings, like I am in my studio now, not at my flagship station, but at my uh, my own studio, uh, about an hour south of Atlanta. I'm on uh, several stories up in a building that's been here since the late 1960s. There's a central elevator corridor. 
and bathrooms. The individual office spaces don't have bathrooms, have a sink, don't have hot water. The building is fine. It's, it's one of the nicest buildings in town to be able to, to uh, be in. I've got a great view, as you can see behind me, and if you watch any of the video streams, but it's not really a place with modern amenities. Newer businesses want modern amenities. They want to be able to have private bathrooms for the CEO, among other things, in, in the office space. They want to be able to have more bathrooms than one in the central corridor for employees to be able to move around. They want to be able to have uh, flexible meeting spaces and things like that. Newer office buildings are being built to accommodate those things. Old office buildings, they're just kind of there. You can gut them on the inside some. You can redo them. Part of the problem is you can't, to get to Mr. Bass's point, you can't really convert them into apartments. There are a lot of plans suggesting convert them to apartments, but you can't really do that practically because of the plumbing issue. So many of those older buildings, the way they're wired and the way they are uh, have water in them, you got to go to the central hallway, and you're not going to have communal bathrooms. Nobody's going to want to do that for an apartment. you got to raise the floor to run pipes to some degree or run them above the drop ceilings, which can be problematic. It's hard to do. Some of them may need to come down. But the other issue here is what do you do about employers and what do you do about employees? How do you get people to come back to the building? I'm going to tell you, I love being back in an office. I've worked from home for 16, 15, 16 years. Being back in an office space is fantastic. Now, I don't have my, I've got an office in, in my space. So I have my studio in my office. My office doesn't have a desk. Been in here since January and the office doesn't have a desk yet just because I've wanted to spend the money on uh, better lighting and staging for the show and better equipment and make sure the other employees have all their furniture taken care of. I'm probably about to get a desk because I don't like to sit at my uh, studio desk all day doing show prep and stuff. I'd rather have an office I can go to. But I'm kind of unique in that regard. I want an office. I want to be out of the house. Uh, millennials younger than me, Gen X's or Gen, Gen Z, they don't, they don't want to go to an office. They want to work from a coffee shop. They want to work from home. Now, I actually think that will fade over time. I, I think there will be a desire by employers to force people back into the office. There is a level of bonding, connectivity, and creativity that can't happen remotely. That's why Apple, for example, built their massive office park, uh, started moving people in right before COVID, had to shut it all down. A lot of employees were reluctant to get back to work, and Apple said, given the uniqueness of what we do, you got to be in the office three days a week at least. So people can hang out together and collaborate together and talk together and explore ideas together. That togetherness matters and businesses that get their employees to be back in person and collaborate are going to be better. But a lot of businesses that do that are in the newer business models, in the newer business towers. So you still have a whole lot of old businesses and old, old modeling that needs to tear down and you can't convert them all to apartments. Going to be a lot more space. Now, into that, there's a side component. And this gets back to something from yesterday about which y'all are pretty doggone passionate about. Battery-powered cars. One of the issues with a lot of older buildings is the electrical infrastructure to be able to put in the high-capacity chargers, where to put them in, and the cost of putting them in. Apartment complexes as well are struggling with this. How do they put in high-capacity chargers? A buddy of mine up in North Carolina who will hear this later this evening when he listens to the podcast 
said his wife's boss has a Tesla, and they had to take a road trip to Pennsylvania. And not only did it take longer in the Tesla than in an internal combustion engine car because of the the charging, but when you paid for the charging, uh, it did not amount to really a whole lot of savings compared to just filling your car up with gas on this particular trip. It took longer to get there and cost just about as much. It wasn't nearly as convenient as as some people would think. Now, the Tesla owner would say, yeah, but I'm not having to do oil changes and stuff like that. Okay, but if time is money and you're having to factor in longer trips because of charging, uh, that's not economical. And for HOAs, for homeowner associations, for apartment complexes trying to put in high-speed chargers, it can be cost prohibitive. And the Biden administration's idea is to give you a tax credit. Y'all know how a tax credit works. I assume most of you do, but just for those of you who don't bear with me, those of you who do, let's say the government gives you $5,000 tax credit for putting in a high-speed charger in your neighborhood so that people with a battery-powered car can, can get battery to their, get power to their car pretty quickly. So you get $5,000 tax credit. The problem with the tax credit is it is now April 13th of 2023. You need to pay for it now with $5,000 you may not have. And next year, when you file your taxes for this year, they will credit you that $5,000. So if you owe $6,000, you'll only have to pay $1,000. The problem is, to a lot of people, that's not real money because your taxes are being withheld anyway. You never see in that money, your company takes it out of your paycheck. So you don't really see it. And so you're, you're just not gonna pay. Maybe you'll get a refund. The refund will be great. But you don't have the $5,000 today. You're going to have to take out a loan to do it or something. That's not the way most people live. The idea of giving people tax credits to swap out their uh, HVAC system in their home, I'm going to give you $2,500 if you put in something more efficient in your home, that's all well and good, but I don't have the $2,500 $2, right now to swap it out. You're going to give me a tax credit next year for something this year that I don't have the money for. It's not really a big incentive for the middle class. It is for the rich, and again, so much of what the Biden administration has done is for the rich. And now this is the same thing with this uh, push for battery-powered cars. I have new data on that that I didn't realize yesterday. I, I knew it and then I forgot it. It's one of those things. So a couple, a year or so ago, the Environmental Protection Agency put in a quota demanding that X percentage of cars in the United States be battery powered. And the Supreme Court said, you can't do that EPA. You don't have the power from Congress to mandate production quantities in the United States. So this new regulation that would require that uh, carbon emissions be cut in half will force the same quota they wanted to force the last time. Essentially, they've tried, they're trying to find a way around a Supreme Court that said you can't force production changes in the United States. By the way, for those of you who think this is a good idea, do you know what you call it when the federal government forces businesses to align to the government's values and carry out the will of the federal government? Do you know what you call that? Fascism. That's what Mussolini did. The ends were controlled by the state. The means were controlled by corporations. The government would set the ends 
and the companies would arrange the means to align with the ends. That was fascism. That's what the Biden administration here is doing. Nobody, of course, wants to call them out on that. The left is happy about this. Remember, overwhelmingly, the Democrats, according to Gallup, 70-some-odd percent of Democrats think we need to prioritize the environment over the economy. 51% of Americans generally agree. Now, that 51% is largely meaningless because they're not all voters, but among Democrats, 70% want to uh, trump the environment trumps the economy. A whole lot of people, particularly the poor and middle class, are going to get shafted if that is the position of the government, which for Biden it is. And they're doing it with electric vehicles, driving up the costs of cars in this country, forcing a lot of people now out of their own vehicles. They won't be able to afford them into something like public transportation or forcing you to move to a city. That's not going to be sustainable. And then when they get to the cities, all the office buildings are going to be torn down and they're not going to build apartments because they don't want you people living in those areas. The planning that is going into this is ridiculous. You know, baseball is now allowing beer sales in the eighth inning. You see, they've now they've got the pitch clock and it's shortened games and the Major League Baseball owners who went along with the pitch clock to shorten the games, suddenly they're realizing, wait a second, our beer sales are down. We're cutting them off in the seventh inning. The games are moving so fast, we're having to cut off the beer sales and and we're we're not getting as much. The 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 innings are moving faster, so we're not selling as much beer. It's hurting economically the baseball stadium. So now they're having to expand beer sales into the eighth inning, which they used to stop at the seventh because of drunk drivers. They tried to plan it all out and these unforeseen events. It's like the Biden administration and a microcosm of the Biden administration. They're planning all of these things out over time, and as they plan them out over time, the unforeseen consequences come up. You're always going to be undermined by those consequences that you never saw to begin with. And I can tell you there are consequences out there you may not foresee when you're trying to force every American out of their internal combustion engine into a battery-powered car when we don't have enough lithium, we don't have enough power, we don't have enough money to buy the cars. There will be hell to pay. There will be a reckoning, and it'll be on the Democrats, and they are too arrogant to realize it. Along the way, you got all the economic turmoil that spills over from it. You might want to talk to Advantage Gold about that at 800-450-2566. Advantage Gold is TrustLink's number one highest rated gold company for seven years in a row. They can take care of your IRA, your 401k, your general investment strategies. There are a lot of odd government rules that go into using precious metals in a retirement plan or in general investment. How do you store them? Where are they located? Things like that. And Advantage Gold, highly educational, highly, highly motivated to get you to do business with them. And they do it through no gimmicks. They just give you the straight answers, easily explained. They help you along the way. They'll even send you a free gold IRA investment kit. All you got to do is call them, 800-450-2566. Tell them I sent you. Tell them you're interested. You're a self-starter. You're self-motivated. You want to do investment strategies. 800-450-2566 is the number. 800-450-2566. Call Advantage Gold. If you're interested in using gold, silver, platinum, you name it, precious metals in your investment portfolio, 800-450-2566. Let's see here. Bob, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Mr. Erickson. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. So I'm an electrician by trade and have been putting in a lot of these car chargers for um, businesses, you know, residential and everything. And the comment that I wanted to make was just on the sheer weight of the car. Um, on average, you know, I'm, I'm not going to debate uh, pro or anti uh, EVs, but 
again, I just wanted to talk about the weight because on average, a car is about, you know, what, twice, twice as heavy as a normal one. And mm-hmm. with these parking decks, if we continue to stage the cars one right after the other, right after the other, uh, chance that the parking deck might fail. And these were some points that I brought up and I've lived in Atlanta most of my life. And I remember when about 13, 15 years ago, there was that section of parking deck that fell close to Georgia tech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was really just mainly what I wanted to call in and, uh, and, and just talk about, but I like, yeah. I like your point where you're, where you're going with that. And, um, Bob, I appreciate it. And, and you know, that that's the point I hadn't even thought of that uh, the weight of these things, they really are a heavier. In fact, here in Georgia, the legislature just came up with a, a way to tax their road usage. You know, you and I pay a gas tax when we fill up uh, and the gas tax goes to maintenance of the roads. The, the EVs tend to be way heavier than most uh, normal vehicles because of the, the weight of the batteries, they don't pay the gas tax. Therefore, they're using roads that they're not helping contribute to the upkeep of while also wearing them out quicker than others. So the administration uh, here in Georgia, the legislature here in Georgia finally decided that's got to be fixed. And most states are now doing that, uh, whether it's taxes based on uh, using chargers or um, mile upkeeps and charge them by the mile. But more and more, this is a thing. Uh, and then just the install cost, it's, this is a huge tax to the middle class to be able to do this. Most people are so used to just driving in a, an internal combustion engine car, getting out, spending five minutes, filling up, hitting the road, going again. It completely upends our way of life in a way that a lot of people I don't think are really going to accept. Uh, it's just, it's the cost is extraordinary. Uh, then you add in growing up and you get kids and your kids need a car too. And you add in those costs. I, I, I don't, the left hasn't thought these things. I don't know that they care. I don't know that they care. It's like the, the 1099 on Venmo. Uh, what happens now when you're the guy you're a contractor for gives you his 1099, but he's paid you through Venmo. So you get the Venmo 1099. And now it looks like you've got uh double the money you actually have. And the IRS decides to audit to be sure. And your audit cost goes up. Uh, these are all foreseeable things that weren't thought through by the Biden administration.